comes to the Lord Jesus. Now that's unusual because the rulers of the synagogue didn't like Jesus. Remember that from Sunday school this morning. And he makes a request. It is a request of feeling. He says, my little daughter who doesn't love their children, who doesn't especially love them when they're little, innocent, 12 years old, we learn later. It's a request of fervor. The Bible says he besought him greatly. He didn't say, hey, uh, Lord, if you're not too busy, if you happen to have a break in the schedule in the next little bit, if you're not doing anything else, he besought him greatly. Please. Oh, please come. you got to come right now. It's urgent. She's at the point of death. It's a request of faith. He said, if you would lay your hands on her, she would be made whole. Wow. Great deal. I like this guy. And I noticed not only a request, but there's a response. The Lord Jesus is willing to help. The Bible says he went with him. Hey, the Lord Jesus loves you. And he's always willing to help. But then he waits. Hard to wait for something really urgent. As far as I know, this is the only time I've preached at a church where both morning and night, they're going to eat after I preach. <laughs> and I'm making you wait. But I will talk about my books tonight. I'm sorry. I gave you a break this morning. If you don't buy them, I have to lug them back on the airplane. Probably get ruptured disc, get crippled, never preach again, and it'll be your fault. But... But once again, the only thing between you and some great food is me. Man, I feel like the fellow who was so unlucky that when he finally got his kidney transplanted, came from a bedwetter. <laughs> it's bad luck. Say, Brother Let, you shouldn't say things like that. I know. But listen, if you knew how many things I think and don't say, you'd be really, really proud of me. There's a lady in the crowd. She's had a problem for 12 years. Her situation is chronic. Jairus' daughter's situation is critical. But she thinks, you know, I've heard about Jesus. I bet you if I could get out and I could just touch the edge of his garment, I bet you I'd be healed. And she did, and she was. Let me stop. He looked around and he said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples, ever ready to correct the Lord Jesus. I'm going to be crucified. Oh, no, you're not. Watch out for people who think they're smarter than God. Yeah, but, but I was at a church recently and they had an evangelist come in. I don't know who it was. I said, don't tell me. I don't want to know. But he told them that soul winning doesn't work anymore. And you better just like have dinners in your neighborhood, invite your neighbors and reach them. I'm all for having dinners in your neighborhood. Jesus did that. He sat with sinners. He ate with them. But you see, 
Soul winning is not a church method that we evaluate by its success or lack of it. Soul winning is obedience to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ who said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And by the way, to say that soul winning doesn't work is to say that the gospel doesn't work. Dr. Robertson always said, you heard him, if you aren't being saved, it's either because the gospel has lost its power or the gospel's not being given. Watch out for people get smarter than God, which we do every time he speaks and we resist. We put our own opinion, our own thought, our own desire, our own philosophy, our own understanding of things above his. Lord, here's a big crowd around you, and you're saying, who touched me? Come on. But he knew what was going on, and so did the lady. And she came trembling and told him all the truth. Now, there's a good idea. Be honest with Jesus. We used to have an evangelist in our church. He's not in the ministry anymore. And he'd always say, oh, brother, I love you more than you know. One time... He was at a big meeting I was preaching at, and we prayed together before the meeting. He said, Lord, we love you more than you know. I uh, don't think so. <laughs> don't think there's anything more than God knows. But she told him all the truth. And the Bible says that he said to her, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. He was making a very important point. She was not healed because she touched his clothes. She was healed because she had faith. You may pray when you get saved, but you're not saved because you prayed. You're saved because you had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God tells us the Christian life is a life of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Everybody ever gets to heaven gets there by faith. Saved by God's grace when they put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trouble is, while the Lord Jesus makes this important but not urgent point, Jairus' daughter died. Wow. Can you imagine Jairus, I'm sure, standing there frustrated, jumping in the bed. Hurry, Lord, come on. You can do this later, please. My daughter's about to die. You got to take care of her now. She's at the point of death. And then she dies. And they come from the house. I was a sheriff's chaplain for about 20 years, did a lot of death notification. If I had ever done one like this, I would have been fired from my volunteer position. Here's what they do. They come up and say, my daughter is dead. Why trouble us out the master any further? Wow. Callous. Heartless. Thoughtless. But it indicates a belief that they have. The Lord Jesus only ever raised three people from the dead in the Bible that we know of. They were all, interestingly, onlys. Martha and Mary's only brother. 
the widow of Nain's only son, now Jairus' only daughter. And so, while they knew that he could make blind people see and lame people walk and deaf people hear and he could make uh, lepers to be cleansed, they weren't as likely to know that he could raise the dead. And they had this idea they could see in their mind how the Lord Jesus would work. They had it figured out what he could do and their faith extended as far as their ability to imagine. So does ours. Well, maybe this medicine will help. God will use it to heal me. Maybe They'll extend that mortgage forgiveness program a little longer. Maybe my Aunt Tilly will have the decency to die and leave me some money. Maybe this counselor, maybe this help program. And you know what happens? It happens in the design and in the plan of God. It happens on purpose. It does not happen whimsically, accidentally, or coincidentally. God deliberately allows the situation to go past our ability to see how it can get any better. Acts 27, ship is in a storm, and the Bible says they've been in a time for 14 days. They didn't see the sun. They didn't see the moon. They didn't see stars. And it said, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Now, they're all saved. Let me preach it later on this week. I don't know. They're all rescued. But none of them had any hope, said the Apostle Paul. And it happens. No way out of this one. Nothing will change this situation. The outcome is now settled. I might as well give up. A request, a response. And then there's a reassurance. The Lord Jesus turns to Jairus after he's been told that his daughter is dead and says, fear not, only believe. Would you say those last two words with me? Fear not, only believe. Would you say it again? Fear not, only believe. Now that's very interesting. The idea is not to start believing. The idea is not to strengthen his belief. The idea is not to have a new reason to believe. The Lord Jesus says this in essence to Jairus. Look, you came to me in faith. You said, if I would lay my hand on your daughter, she would recover. You had enough faith to trust me to do that. Now, I want you to keep on exercising the faith you have. God often puts us in places where we have no idea how it's going to work out. I don't know what's in store for the Northern Kentucky Baptist Church in the years ahead. I believe it's years of blessing, but I believe it would be years of challenge. I believe there will be times you as a body and you as individuals will say, wow, I don't see any way we can do what the preacher thinks God wants us to do. In which case, God's response is, be not afraid, 
only believe. And he said, when he got to the house, there were people weeping and wailing. Now, they were hired mourners. I've been to Israel, and I've seen groups at funerals and weddings, and they sound exactly the same. They really do. They go kind of like this. And he said, why make you all this ado? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Well, she was dead far as they knew. She was dead far as the medical experts of their day. She was dead as far as probably a doctor who would examine her in our day. Not as far as Jesus was concerned. Nah, she's just asleep. But no. I found I had a tumor on my voice box before I knew whether or not it was cancerous. I said to my wife, I said, well, honey, there's four possibilities. Number one, it's not cancer, they can fix it. Number two, it is cancer, and they can fix it. Number three, it's cancer, and they have to take my voice box out. In which case, my assignment would have changed, but my job would have been the same to serve God. Probably would have done a little more writing, a little less preaching. I don't know if anybody had me preach with those deals in or not. But if they would have, I had my first joke ready. I would have said, if my mother could hear me now, she would say, how dare you speak to me in that tone of voice. (laughs) I said, the fourth possibility is they cannot fix it, in which case I will go to heaven. Hey, what a good deal to be a child of God and to know that the worst thing that could ever happen to you is the best thing that could ever happen to you. What a savior, what a gospel, what a salvation, what a blessing to be a child of God. And whenever it's my turn to leave this earth and it's your turn to leave this earth, you know what's going to happen? We're going to go to sleep. Them that sleep in Jesus, the Bible says the Lord will bring with him. Huh. She's not dead, but sleepeth our friend. Lazarus sleepeth, and I go to wake him out of his sleep. How many of you have ever slept? We've got some medical miracles here. Scary, isn't it? Frightening going to sleep. Awful thing to sleep. Dread it. Some of you stay awake till four in the morning, then can't help it, and you fall asleep, and you hate it. No. Sleep is good. He giveth his beloved sleep. He gives him rest. Yeah. When I was a little boy, my mother made me take a nap every afternoon. I didn't want it. I didn't need it. I didn't know why. I've learned since the naps are not for the children. They're for the parents. (laughs) John Rice took an hour nap every day. Lee Robertson took an hour nap every day. The uh, writer Dale Carnegie wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. Very good book. Wrote a book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And in that book, he said, an hour's sleep in the day is worth two hours at night. So the doctor told him that. They say an hour before 10 o'clock is worth two hours after 10 o'clock. I don't know if that's true or not. 
Well, isn't anybody here scared of sleep? No. Death is no big deal for the child of God. You fall asleep on earth, robed in your flesh. You wake up in the arms of Jesus, robed in his righteousness. She's not dead. She's only asleep. Reassurance. And he goes to the house. And he touches her hand and says, Talitha Kumai. And the damsel arises. Now, I don't know what your problem is. Well, right now, it's me keeping you from food. I don't know what your burden is. I don't know what tears at your heart. I don't know what keeps you awake at night. I don't know what nags at you throughout the day. But I know the answer. It's the answer the Lord Jesus gave in this passage. Just keep on believing. It is amazing how people trust the Lord Jesus with their eternal soul when they get saved and exercise enough faith to believe in him to save them from hell, for heaven, forever. And then after they're saved, a God big enough to save them, big enough to sustain them if they tithe. Isn't big enough to enable them to go soul winning. Isn't big enough to strengthen them as they teach a class or take on a new assignment or involve themselves in a new area of ministry or take on as a church a great challenge of some sort. No, you listen to me. The Lord Jesus says, whatever your problem is, you don't need new faith. You don't need more faith. You don't need different faith. But you do need to keep on exercising the faith you have. Be not afraid. Only believe. Just keep on believing. You came here by faith, Jairus. You said, if I touch her, she would be made whole. Now the news got a little worse, but my power didn't get any weaker. The circumstances changed, but I did not. And if you just keep on believing, it'll be all right. I uh, read that Robert Browning was a poet and Elizabeth Barrett was a poet. She was sick, bedridden. And he read her poetry and wanted to meet her and came to see her. And a preacher said on his first visit, she sat up in bed. On his second visit, she got out of bed and walked. And on his third visit, they eloped. Hey, you fathers... If you're like me, you think elopement's a wonderful idea. It's way cheaper and easier than a wedding. I offered my daughter's money. Say, here, just go off. Take this, get married, come back. And then I was in a used bookstore. I saw a Reader's Digest book of some biographies. And in that uh, set of books, that little book with four or five books in it, was the biographies of William Brown, uh, Robert Browning and Elizabeth Barrett. I thought, man, I'm going to read that. And I found out she was a poet, and he was a poet. And he read her poetry, and he was interested, and she was bedridden, and he came to see her. And it was on something like his 47th visit that they eloped. A little brother. Another good story ruined by the facts. If I hear a good story, I don't look it up. 
I just say, I heard this story. And then I thought, wait a minute. That's a better story. Love doesn't say, one, two, three, run away with me. Love will come back 20 times and 30 times and 40 times and 45 times and 46 times and 47 times. Love will keep on believing. My dad got saved when he was 21 years of age. First time he ever heard the gospel. Uh, Dad's IQ was 149. 140 is genius. 120 is the average college graduate. 100 is about average. 70 is the average McDonald's worker. <laughs> and uh, he witnessed his family, found out his mom had been saved, led some of his family to Christ. Dad was the uh, sixth of seven children, born in 1927. But his dad would never get saved. We'd go visit my grandpa Olette in Brimfield, Massachusetts. And I don't remember a lot about him. I remember he was missing his two middle fingers on his right hand. They were cut off in a saw accident. And I was impressed he could use his index finger and little finger to pick up a tissue. I saw thought that was intriguing. I remember that he sat in his easy chair in the living room and smoked pell-mell cigarettes and watched television until the test patterns came on. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, there used to be only three channels and nothing very good to watch, and they were only on until 1 or 2 in the morning, and then there was a test pattern on your screen. Then about 6 a.m., they came on with news and cartoons. Cartoons in the corner, news and weather around the edges. Now we have cable, and it's 24-7. We have 150 channels with nothing worth watching on them. But my dad got a phone call from his sister, Ruthie. She said, Dad's in the hospital. He's got emphysema. May have a few weeks, may have a few months, could have a few days. But if you want to see him again, you ought to come pretty quick. I did got in the car that night, drove from Detroit, Michigan to Brimfield, Massachusetts. Drove all night. Went to see his dad in the hospital. Said, Dad, something happened to me 17 years ago. And my grandpa said, I know, son, you've been different. And he shared the gospel. And he said, Dad, won't you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior? And my grandpa said, no. My dad said, why not? My grandpa said, son, all my life I worked for everything I had. Raised seven children in the middle of the Depression, never went on the dole, never took a dime from anybody. My grandpa was a troubleshooter for the power company. When they couldn't figure it out, they'd call George and George would fix it. I have the climbing spikes he used. When he was 65, my dad was a young, strong weightlifter of a man. My grandpa showed my dad how to use the spikes, and my dad barely made it halfway up a telephone pole. My grandpa put them on, just scampered up to the top of that pole. He said to think, the only way that I can get to heaven is by taking something for free. I don't think I can do that. 
You can think whatever you want about this. My dad said, would you like to see my mother again? My grandpa said, yes, she's a good woman. We had a lot of good years. I'd love to see her again. Dad said, you'll never see her again unless you trust Jesus to be your Savior. My grandpa said, all right. They prayed. My grandfather asked Lord Jesus to save him. The doctor came in and said, sir, you have to slip out. We need to give your father a blood transfusion. And my dad said, you go right ahead. He's just been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And in the kindness of the Lord, my grandpa lived some weeks after that. And my dad had a revival meeting already scheduled in a nearby town, the town of Warren, Massachusetts. And we all went. Stayed in my grandpa's house. He still sat in the easy chair. He still smoked pell-mell cigarettes. Or pall-mall. We always said pell-mell, and that's why I don't know what you did. I need to study cigarettes a little better. I'm sorry. <laughs> but instead of watching the TV till the test pattern came on, he had a big giant print Bible that was always open in his lap, and he read it all the time. And this time when we came back, from the meetings, he would say, son, did anybody get saved tonight? We all kissed him goodbye. My dad hadn't kissed his dad in years, and he kissed him on the cheek, and wasn't long after that, he slipped out and went to heaven. Say, what did, what did your dad do that was a secret to your grandfather's getting saved? Nothing. Nothing he hadn't done for 17 years. Just kept on praying, just kept on witnessing, just kept on trusting, just kept on believing. Can I tell you, there's a lot of things God wants to do that he doesn't do because we don't keep on believing. He did not many miracles there because of their unbelief. Cromwell took over the nation of England. He was called the one strong man. He was a Protestant. He had taken over after a Catholic. Now, we are neither Protestant nor Catholic. We are Baptist. We did not protest the Catholic Church and leave it in the Reformation. We never joined it. But there were forces opposed to what he was doing in trying to get him out of there. And he was strict and Strong, harsh. One day, one of his soldiers had committed to us would be a relatively minor infraction. But Cromwell said, no, the penalty for that is death. He was engaged, this soldier. His young, beautiful fiance came to Cromwell and pled for the life of her loved one. And Cromwell was not untouched by her plea, but he said, I'm sorry. If I let your fiancé go, everybody else will think they can get away with doing wrong. I'll lose what authority I've been able to gather. When the curfew rings tonight, your fiancé will be executed. She didn't go home and weep. She didn't find a corner somewhere to feel sorry for herself and have a pity party. She went to the bell tower. She climbed up that bell tower and she wrapped her body around the clapper of that massive bell. 
And when the old deaf sextant came to ring the bell for curfew, it swung just like always. But now instead of metal clanging against metal, her body muffled it and there was no sound. Cromwell came to see why the curfew hadn't rung. He encountered her at the foot of the bell tower and the poet records the meeting with these words at his feet. She told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn and her young sweet face still haggard with the anguish it had worn, touched his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light. Go, your lover lives, cried Cromwell, curfew shall not ring tonight. What'd she do? She kept on believing. I'm not sure why God had me preach this message. I don't know that I've preached it in an evening service in years and years and years. Wasn't what I originally intended. But I do know. Now. And tomorrow. And the next day, and all the tomorrows to come, whatever the trial, whatever the issue, whatever the burden, the message of the word of God is be not afraid, only believe.